Just a quick content warning for today's episode, there is mention of gore and murder, so if you're not okay with that, now is your time to click off. But then that, let's start today's episode. Hi guys, I'm your host, Bren. And I'm your co-host, Maggie. And today we are still continuing our Horror Hotspot um, series. If you're unfamiliar with um, Horror Hotspot or this is your first time listening, Horror Hotspot is a featured series that we do during uh, October um, on our online newspaper at thetimbercreektown.com where we publish stories Monday, Wednesday, Friday, again, um, during October. And uh, they're all, like, horror-related, true crime, urban legends, stuff like that. And we do a podcast on a few of them. Um, so today's story is actually written by our uh, talent features editor, Grace Measles, and hers covers the Tylenol murders, and this will be our audio description of it, plus another, plus another story told by Maggie. So, the pop of a pill opening is not unfamiliar to many, nor is the safety seal under the cap. Decades ago, these safety seals didn't exist, and pill bottles and milk cartons and many other common grocery items were unsealed. The year of 1982 changed the slack of packaging forever, with the deadly string of murders being the crucial point for companies and producers to take measures to protect their consumers as well as their businesses. In September of 1982, some residents of the Chicago metropolitan area became victims to an unknown killer's trap. Seven total victims came from the initial murders, with many innocent others falling prey to copycat crimes soon after. The victims were Mary Kellerman, who was 12, from Elk Grove Village in Illinois, Mary McFarlane, who was 31, from Elmhurst in Illinois, Mary Reiner, who was 27, from Winfield in Illinois, Paula Prince, who was 35, from Chicago in Illinois, and Adam, who was 27, and Stanley, who was 25, and Teresa, who was 19, Janice, all from Arlington Heights in Illinois. Initially, authorities were puzzled due to the circumstances of these seven deaths, all with similar circumstances. However, it was then found that all the victims had taken Tylenol within days of their deaths, which prompted tests to be ran. It was then found that all the victims had traces of potassium cyanide in their systems. The bottles seemed to be tampered with after production as the Tylenol bottles used in the murders had been manufactured in different areas. The suspect must have entered the drugstores in the area, opened the bottles, um, added the potassium cyanide, and then closed the bottles and put them back on the shelf. An investigation was then opened later on into the drugstores um, near, near Chicago, where more bottles were found to have contained potassium cyanide. Then on October 5, 1982, came the recalls of many Tylenol and acetaminophen bottles by Johnson & Johnson, all adding up to cost around $100,000 at the time. There hasn't been anyone who was convicted for these crimes, leaving this case unsolved. However, there were more people who were suspected to be a convict for these crimes. James William Lewis was the major suspect at the time um, to his sending of a letter demanding $1 million to stop the poisonings. He went to prison for a decade due to extortion, but not the murders. There ended up not being enough evidence to charge him with the crime, and Lewis stays confident in his denying of his involvement. Roger Arnold was also investigated, but cleared of his suspicion. However, he ended up killing a man months later and went to prison for that. Another suspect was Lori Dan, who killed several people via poisoning years later, but no, dire- but no direct connection was found and the case for the Tylenol murders was dropped. Many copycat murders occurred in years following, though prior to the institutions of anti-tampering laws and seals. Tampered substances ranged from Tylenol to Excedrin to Encaprin. This incident led to the development of tamper-resistant packaging, which is now the norm today for most medicines. 
The events of the Tylenol murders also led to tampering with products to be a crime in many federal legislatures across the country. So I've heard about this story before, but I had no idea that that's why, like, most medicine had, like, plastic covered uh, seals. And also another thing that I'm surprised about is how someone managed to go into it. It was, like, a drugstore, like, Walgreens or something like that. Yeah. And, like, manage to... To just sneak in and just open a package and then, like, just put stuff in there. Cyanide, like... Because, I mean, you can't really return medicine like that. Right. That's that's what I'm presuming. Um, But, and also, uh, because I love learning about unsolved cases Mm -hmm. because most of them are pretty eerie Mm -hmm. and stuff. But it's just, like, crazy how this guy was, like, never found because I'm guessing I'm, like, they must have had security cameras. I mean, it's 1982. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think they had security cameras. (laughs) Please correct us out there. If yeah, we are yeah. Wrong. But um, yeah. I I think that's a really interesting story to like how tamper evidence seals were like created. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's not what you would think. Why would be created? Right, <laughs> right. I mean, like obviously, like the FDA would be concerned for like citizen safety and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like they didn't think about that until after like people had already been poisoned and died. Right. Yeah. So that's just, it's not funny. No, it's no, not. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. Um, but also what uh, like freaks me out the most is that these people were buying Tylenol just, you know, for probably like a you know, pain, yeah, 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 pain medicine and not knowing like they were going to die. Right. Because if you look it up, because um, the, the powder inside the Tylenol and the um, potassium cyanide, they actually look pretty similar because they're just about the white powder, so people wouldn't really care too much. And also it's in a capsule, so you can't right. really see. Um, but, yeah, it just freaks me out how these people um, just like, yeah. had no idea. And also, like, how, like, I don't know, the scientists are probably more intelligent <laughs> than me, but how they, like, linked it up, like, oh, actually, all these people bought Tylenol at the same time. Like, I don't know. I don't know the and effects that, like, of they potassium that chloride that well. I mean, cyanide. cyanide. <laughs> potassium cyanide that well, but. Yeah. I, I don't know either. Like, did they at least die, like, a painless death, I hope? It didn't really say. What probably happened was they just found them collapsed. Yeah. That's what I'm going to guess. Yeah. I'm hoping that it was painless because if they're buying pain medicine, then that means that they're already in pain. And I just, I would feel sad if they did not have a painless death. (laughs) So um, according to the CDC, um, when you take potassium cyanide, early symptoms of cyanide poisoning include lightheadedness, giddiness, rapid breathing, nausea, uh, vomiting, feeling of neck constriction and suffocation, confusion, restlessness, and anxiety. Oh, so they probably did not have a painless death. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, um, that makes me sad now. Because it affects, um, obviously, your oxygen. Right. Suffocation affects your cells. Right. Not to get too into the biology of it, but... <laughs> <laughs> so I think that wraps it up um, for our horror hotspot. And now we're going to continue over to Maggie's story, which is, isn't actually included in our horror hotspot, but we still like to have some supporting cases. Yeah, yeah. Um, to make it more interesting for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to be talking about the hotel that inspired um, Stephen King's uh, The Shining. <laughs> um, it's the Stanley Hotel, like it is in, in the book and the movie. Yeah, and I think but, um, you can actually go visit it. I yeah. I haven't been. I haven't not watched The Shining. I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So in the fall of 1974, writer Stephen King and his wife stopped um, for the night at an old hotel overlooking the city. Uh, The Stanley Hotel had fallen on hard times and was a ghost of its former Edwardian-era self. Um, Upon arriving, um, the Kings learned that the hotel was closing for the winter and only, like, a small skeleton crew remained. So, anyways, but, like, besides the point, they still checked in, um, and they were checked into room 217. If you've read the book or seen the movie, you know that number, (laughs) Um, which is the presidential suite. And they were the only paying guests that night. Um, That night, um, Stephen King had a nightmare in which he saw his young son being chased down the hotel's long, empty corridors by a predatory, possessed fire hose. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think of, like, what a fire hose would look like chasing. Like you're, like, imagining in your head. Yeah, Yeah. chasing a little boy down the hall. Um, He woke up and was drenched in sweat. And... He started smoking a cigarette, and by the time he stubbed it out, he'd worked out the um, beginning of what would become his third novel and first bestseller, The Shining. So that's just a little intro into the um, hotel. So among some of the hotel's history, um, the Stanley Hotel had earned a reputation as a paranormal nerve center long before uh, King's arrival at the hotel. It was completed in 1909 as an elite 420-room <laughs> retreat by entrepreneur and inventor F.O. Stanley, hence the name Stanley Hotel. Um, during the years since his, since his death in 1940, um, the apparition of Mr. Stanley reportedly has appeared to guests checking in at the reception desk and claims hold that he, that the phantom of the late Flora Stanley, a pianist, sometimes can be heard tickling the ivories in the empty music room. While some spots are more spiritually active than others, guests have reported strange occurrences, shadowy figures, eerie laughter, flickering lights, and items moving on their own in every room on the hotel compound, which includes a century-old lodge and a concert hall. In recent decades, the campus has hosted countless paranormal investigations. Pros aren't the only one to get play here, though. Overnight visitors opting for the ghost adventure package. Like like you said, people can visit. Um, they're assigned a room on the infamous fourth floor um, and with a pocket-sized electromagnetic field reader and other ghostly graft including a mug bearing the chilling message, Red Rum, murder spelled backward, from King's novel. Sorry to um, interrupt, but that reminds me. I think it's called, it's in California, I believe, but it's called the Queen Mary, and this kind of reminds me of it. It's like the haunted ship. Yeah, But it's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's like anchored in, um, I know that's correct uh, wording, but I've seen people, like, you can stay in it, and I don't, there probably is, like, one floor that is haunted the most, but they have, um, like pictures and like so and so has like died here or mm-hmm. and stuff, and that reminds me. I've, I don't know. I don't have. Um, I don't have the courage to do that. <laughs> I would. I'm. I feel like scary movies aren't that scary for me anymore. So I need like real life horror. Yeah, like staying. Have you ever stayed at a haunted hotel? No, I don't think so. I mean, I stayed at hotels I believed were haunted, but didn't really have like a 
a history. Um, anyways, so the location has certainly seen trauma. However, um, in the 1920s, a gas leak led to an explosion in room 217, the iconic room number, that destroyed the second floor above the main dining hall and nearly killed the chambermaid, Elizabeth Wilson. She ultimately recovered and returned to her job, which she held to her death uh, until her death at age 90. Whoa. She was working for a long, her entire life. She was working. Oh um, soon after, the hotel received started receiving reports of spectral chambermaid hovering and walking through closed doors in the rebuilt guest quarters. I don't like that. <laughs> um, unmarried couples sharing a bed complained of an invisible force wedging them apart as they slept. A single men and single men woke to find their bags had been packed and left outside the door. Oh my gosh, that's okay. This sounds fun. Like no, I feel, no, no, no. This is I not fun at all. I know my mom has stayed at a haunted hotel before. I believe it's in Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called the Brown. If uh, y'all want to search it up, but my mom says she hasn't experienced anything too creepy. But she's had she known some people who have stayed there and they've um, seen like. Uh, the previous owner who opened the hotel walk around the halls greeting people. Oh, wow. Or um, lights flickering or they'll wake up and their sinks have been turned on. Oh. Or their TV's been turned on. Oh, my goodness. Or, like, babies crying when there's no babies. Uh-huh. Like, actual babies crying. That's so crazy. Anyways, despite numerous reported sightings of spectral use, a.k.a. children ghosts, um, on the hotel's fourth floor and... Um, attic space, records show no child died there, like, ever. Um, it comes as no surprise that the hotel's most requested room, 217, is the one where King stayed, um, on that fateful visit more than 40 years ago, a space that allegedly drove Jim Carrey to flee in the middle of the night, never to return, when the actor was on location filming Dumb and Dumber. Um, the Stanley's true ghost, central and most notoriously active locale, <laughs> um, is two floors up. When King visited, he supposedly had the run of the empty hotel and wandered up up to the fourth floor when it was a wide open attic stretching from dorm- dormer to far dormer. In true historic fashion, the main house of the Stanley is not air conditioning and air condition um so a lot of people report cold spots and there's no logical explanation for that as there is no there's no air conditioning yeah that's i guess that's the story of the i don't know of the stanley yeah that's the story of the stanley hotel (laughs) sorry the the true story of the historic stanley hotel yeah, and obviously I know a lot of people are creeped out together not only because of the paranormal activity and whatnot, right. but, like, I know some people um, who were freaked out of The Shining mm-hmm. and who don't want to go there right, for that reason they don't as wanna, well. Yeah. I haven't seen The Shining. I probably already said this, but I haven't seen The Shining myself. But the, from the clips I've seen, it does not look the most pleasant movie. Yeah, I had a dress-up day at work, and uh, I got – because it's Halloween month, <laughs> mm-hmm. I dressed up as Jack Torrance and I had a white mask on that had like um, red rum spelt out on it. Is that the Son of the Dead? What? Is that this is Jack the Son of the Dead. 
Nope. Um, Jack Torrance is the main character in The Shining. Is he the dad? Oh, yeah. I thought you said the... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. He's the dad. He's the writer who, like... Goes crazy. Goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I... I kind of want to vis- I kind of want to visit the Stanley Hotel. I mean, I'm not saying you um you you can't go. Oh my god. I mean, I'm not saying you can't go, but myself? No, I I'm, I'm not stepping foot in there. <laughs> we I should don't we like should go that. and then we should get we can leave like a re- we can talk about it on the podcast. That'd be so funny. That would be funny, but, but I'm not sleeping in there. Um we don't who said we have to sleep? I don't want to sleep in a haunted hotel. I love to go just for like the. Oh, I wouldn't mind visiting during the daytime, but no, no, no overnight. See, I don't love The Shining. I think it's a good movie. I think it really set a lot of ground for the horror movie genre and just the like horror psycho- genre in general. Because would you say it's more psychological? Uh, Is it? Because doesn't he go? Or I mean, yeah, again, haven't seen the movie. Yeah, but. like he he sort of just goes crazy, so it is sort of psychological. Like there is weird stuff that happens to Shelley. Is that the actor? Is that the character? The actress is Shelley Duvall. Okay. There is weird things that happens to his wife that I don't know her name that's played by Shelley Duvall. But, um, like, for the most part, he's the one being, like, haunted and into, like, he's, like, spoilers? This is this movie is really old, but he's, like, the one haunted into killing his family. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like, I just remember the, the, the scene that's, like, most standoutish in my mind is, like, the bloody elevators mm-hmm. where, like, the blood just comes rushing out of the elevator doors as they open. Yeah. I've seen that clip yeah. before. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, that also reminds me of the um, – we've talked about in the podcast before. And we, we also did have a horror hotspot story about it published recently um, about the Cecil Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they're – oh, well, the Cecil Hotel, I guess they're both haunted. But I think the Cecil, Cecil ha- Hotel has more history. Yeah, definitely. And they also have a lot more murders yeah. that have happened. Or at um, least deaths in deaths, general. Unsolved. Yeah, we yeah we talked tra- about. Tragedies. Because we, we talked about Elisa Lam. Lam? Mm-hmm. And That's then probably we the, one of the most infamous ones that a lot of yeah. people know about, the elevator game. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think haunted hotels are very interesting to learn about. Not mm-hmm. visiting one. Definitely <laughs> not visiting one. Especially the Cecil Hotel because that's... <laughs> People say it's, um, some people believe it's cursed. Yeah. Which, like, I can see, but I don't know. It kind of reminds me of American Horror Story, you know, the season of Hotel. Uh, season five? Is it season yeah, five? Yeah, season five. Yeah. And Sorry. I don't know. I just like the idea of, like, all of, like, these. Oh, another plane. I like the idea of all of these people, like, who die in the same place just being stuck to live in purgatory with each other for eternity in a hotel that they didn't even want to die in. I don't know. It's just a funny concept to me. I think it'd be, I mean, I think it's already been written into something, but it wasn't like a comedy. I think it'd be a funny comedy is what I'm saying, basically. <laughs> or I've heard about this show. I haven't watched it, but it's like um, like the murders like in the room or something. It's, I don't know. The people <laughs> who explain it to me have not um, done a good job of explaining yeah, it, but it's like podcast-esque. About I think Selena Gomez is on it. It's on Hulu. Oh oh yeah yeah, like the murders in on the ninth floor or oh, yeah, like murders in the building. Yeah yeah, you guys know what we're talking about, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm, shout out to our listeners out there. They have to like pick up a lot of pieces for us. 
yeah no i'm a really big uh stephen king fan i um my favorite movie of his is carrie um i've also read the book because i'm just that big of a fan i'm really dedicated to stephen king and being a Stephen King fan. <laughs> I've only read a few of his short stories, but I want to read some of his novels. Yeah. Um, I think I told you about Cujo. I think yeah. I talked about it on the podcast once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that movie with my parents. It was crazy. Um, I haven't seen... No, he didn't make a movie of Christine, did he? Christine is the car one. Have you heard of that one? His book? Misery? No, I thought Christine was the car one. There might be two car ones, but I know that Christine is a car or a motorcycle. No, but the one I have heard about, which I want to read, um, is called Misery, which is about um, this author. I think it's like a, he's like a romance author, or it's a fiction anyways. Um, But he kills off one of the main characters, and one of his biggest fans was very, like, peeved about it. And so the author gets in a car accident. And she, like, finds him at the scene and saves him, but she, like, keeps him in, like, like, tortures him. Like, locked him up. Yeah, like, tortures him and, oh like, goodness. doing, like, everything, like, so he can get that character back in the story because she's, yeah. I've talked about this before. Again, it's, it's Kathy Bates who's in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have talked about this. Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> as soon as you say Kathy Bates, I automatically know. But I think it's because his books are so long, I don't want to read them. But everyone I know who's read Stephen King books loves them. Yeah. Um, I know um, my parents have read a couple Stephen King, or one Stephen King book that I know of that's not a horror, which is about this guy travels back in time to save JFK from oh, his, oh, his yeah, ass- yeah. assassination. Isn't, they made a show about that. Yeah, yeah. My parents watched the show. So you're... Who who read the book? You said my dad. Your your dad read the book, and my parents watched the show. Well, my dad didn't read the whole book, but he read is, like isn't part it of the book called like it's like Robert, he got assassinated. Bl- uh, like, like eleven six. No, no, it's like twenty two. Eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening today. This is Bren and Maggie, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.